crazy night. Hey, um, grab your Bibles. As you guys know, or you may not know, um, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Exodus, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We ended chapter 34, no, 35, into 36 last week. So tonight, we're going to be in um, Luke chapter 17. So, <laughs> a little curveball. We're not going to be in Exodus. So grab your Bibles and turn to Luke. So that's all I wanted to say. Luke chapter 17. Thank you, Austin. Luke 17, because as Pastor Steve mentioned, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, and I really, as I was studying for Exodus, honestly, my heart was just like, you know what, let's just take a night and, and talk about Thanksgiving and, and, and not just talk about it, but do some Thanksgiving. So I want to read one of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, Luke chapter 17 from verses 11 through 19. So Luke 17, um, 11 through 19. And we do something a little different tonight. Once you're there, I want everybody to stand up. We're going to stand to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read the whole story. And then you can plop down and we'll go through it. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and he lifted up excuse me and lifted up their voices saying Jesus master have mercy on us and when he saw them he said to them go and show yourself to the priests and as they went they were cleansed and then one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back praising God with a loud voice fell on his face at Jesus's feet giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Lord God, this story, this event that happened I mean, it doesn't really need any commentary at all. The, the lesson is right in front of us. And Lord, we just, right now, cut to the chase. We want to be the guy that comes back and says, thank you. Would you remind us by your Holy Spirit, deep in our hearts, the thing that we have to be thankful for the most tonight. That's my heart. That's what I pray for. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, by, your, by you, just would you open up the word so we can get it in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right, you can be seated. Um, I would totally agree with those who would say, and I would probably said it myself before, that one of the characteristics of any born-again believer in Jesus Christ is that we should be grateful people. That's one of the things that I think if you claim to be a Christian and somebody from the outside looking in at your life and my life thanks a thankful heart, a heart of gratitude, kind of that overflowing thankfulness really should color our life. That should be one of those things that is just kind of the outflow of the life of a born-again Christian. Would you guys agree with that or no? Yes or no? Now, as much as I agree with that, I'm going to be super honest with you. As Thanksgiving is approaching, it's here tomorrow. And, you know, that's always in the back of your mind, like, oh, we're a week away from Thanksgiving. I have caught myself more this week grumbling and complaining and being unthankful because 
I don't know why, but maybe you can relate. Sometimes in circumstances in life, you can just get caught up in it, and sometimes you're just not overflowing with thankfulness. Am I the only one with me and Josh Beal? I don't know. That's it. Anybody else struggle with that? Like, we know I ought to be thankful, and I catch myself complaining, or I catch myself just kind of discontent or whatever, and, and I have to repent. I think I've done that a lot this week. Lord, forgive me. Help me to be thankful. We really do have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? You know, and then you read scriptures. You know, you know I think the word thank or th- thankful or in some form is mentioned like 132 times in the scriptures. You know, you read scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we're thankful. Colossians 3 says something like, you know, in everything you do, do it as unto the Lord, giving thanks to his name. You know, in Ephesians 5, it talks about, the, you know, a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things is, it says he gives thanks in all things. And then you read the Psalms, and it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. You cannot crack the Bible open without some point hitting something about being thankful. Amen? And so we have a lot to be thankful for. We all would agree with that. But here's the thing I want to just focus in on tonight. Um, we do have a lot to be thankful for. Every gift, every whatever. But for us, there's something that goes way deeper than that. We have something ultimate to be thankful for, and that is that Jesus Christ forgave all of our sins, and we have been healed and cleansed, and we're going to heaven. Amen? And I know that's Christianity 101. I know I run the risk of sounding really simple tonight, but I'll run that risk because what I'm asking is that the Lord would just give us a fresh revelation of the wonderful salvation that we have in Him. Amen? And so we're going to do so by looking at this short little story uh, from Jesus' life. This happened about six months before he went to the cross. He's kind of set his face to go to Jerusalem. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the lepers' uh, condition, their position, their transition, and their decision. And then we're going to look at Jesus' inquisition. I am so proud of that outline. I did that all by myself. And if you forget it, that's completely... Thanks, man. Just was looking for a little... <laughs> But we're going to look at their condition and their position here. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the story again. In verse 11, it says, uh, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. He was passing between the border of Samaria and Galilee. What's significant about that is he, he was really on the border of that center area of, of Samaria. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. He's kind of traveling along the border. We don't want to know exactly where. On his way to Jerusalem. And it says he, he enters into a certain village We don't know the name of the village, but here's what we know. He was met by ten lepers. Ten lepers. Ten lepers. Now we know when you put the pieces of the story together that at least one of these lepers is a Samaritan. The other nine, or at least a good chunk of them, are probably Jewish. But they're lepers, and that's what they have in common. Usually they wouldn't hang out with one another, but they've been reduced to this condition that they kind of throw aside all their racial and and religious separations, and they're just kind of reduced to this condition and their humanity of leprosy. Guys, you you probably know this, but leprosy, and, and it's a little bit debatable. You know, when you read about leprosy in the Bible, you know, we think about leprosy as we know it today, Hansen's disease. Uh, When you read about leprosy in the Bible and what we call Hansen's disease or leprosy, it's not synonymous. It's probably something different um, because when you look at the description of leprosy in the Old Testament, 
it doesn't kind of line up with what we know as modern-day leprosy. That's why a lot of your translations, just a little info for you, a lot of your translations will say something like a serious skin disease. And I'm not trying to just bore you with facts, but here's what you need to understand. These men were lepers. And to have leprosy in this day and age was an absolute life changer. It was a skin disease, an infectious, contagious skin disease of some sort that would spread throughout your body, attack the mucous membrane, attack the nervous, cent- the nervous system, to where as the disease would progress, you would have, of course, all the sores, but you would also lose feeling in your extremities, in your fingers, in your toes. A lot of times because of that, lepers would end up hurting themselves and not know, kind of re- think of it like this. Have you ever been to the dentist and they numb up your lips to fill a cavity or something like that? And then like, you don't realize it, but you're like kind of chewing on your lip while it's numb and then the pain, the, the stuff wears off and you got a big fat bloody lip. And anybody ever have that? Or you go to like drink out of a straw and it just falls down your, it's numb, you can't feel it. So That's what would happen to their fingers and their toes and their hands. And so they would cut themselves or whatever, or a rat would chew on their feet. And they wouldn't feel it. And they would get infected. And as the disease would progress, you guys, it would just take over their body and eventually kill them. When I was in India in 2015, I had the, I call it a privilege, as we were going through New Delhi, we got to go minister in a leper colony, in a slum. And the images are burned in my mind of this man with no fingers, just nubs, no toes, just nubs, and just sitting there worshiping as we were just having a little service there in that hut. One of the ladies there had just lost her husband to leprosy, just died. So just this aggressive, gross, horrible disease. And not only that, there's like this added little, not little, stigma to it. You see, if you were suspected of having leprosy in that day and age, what you'd do is you'd go to the priest. This is in Leviticus 13, Le- Leviticus 14. I'm just going to briefly remind you guys of this. If you thought you had something that resembled leprosy, a little spot or something growing on your skin, um, th- the protocol was to go to the priest. Chapter 13 of Leviticus just has this detailed kind of um, procedure that the priest would go through that they would kind of look at all these stipulations. They'd look at the skin, the color. They would see, okay, is the hair white? Is there a scab? They could put you in quarantine for a week. If they wanted to take further action, they could quarantine you for 14 days. They would reassess. They would evaluate. If it got better, they would pronounce you clean. But here's the deal. If it was this disease, they would pronounce you unclean. And that didn't mean like you had cooties. To be unclean, biblically speaking, means you're unacceptable. You're unclean. You're not allowed from that moment on. Listen to this. You're not allowed to go home. You have to leave home. You have to leave your family. You have to leave the community. You're not allowed in the temple courts. Your life is pretty much over as you know it in any kind of social or family way. You're, You're required to wear torn clothes that would signify like mourning clothes like you'd wear to a funeral in that culture you had to literally as you would approach a crowd as a leper cry out unclean unclean and maintain a distance so that people could get away from you people would take their kids and run away from you some rabbis taught 
and this is a pretty prevalent teaching, that if you had leprosy, it was a direct curse from God on your life because of some sin, some hidden sin in your life. So now that's what everybody thinks about you. Oh, I thought he was such a stand-up guy, or this one, I thought she was such an integritous woman. Well, some kind of secret sin in their life because God struck them with leprosy. Some rabbis taught that when a leper came by, you should pick up rocks and throw them at them like a dog. Some rabbis taught, it's recorded, that they wouldn't buy an egg from the street that a leper walked down. As the disease got worse and the infection and the old clothes that they're wearing and just the yuck, you could smell a leper if he was downwind from you. Nobody touched you anymore. Nobody hugged you anymore. If your family did want to see you, they would see you from a distance, maybe drop a care package and have to walk away a few hundred yards so you could come and get it. They live in the trash, you know, dumps across, over the wall in the city and people just dump trash. They dig through the... These guys were not only physically dying and being torn apart, they were mentally dying and being torn apart. They were social outcasts. They were emotionally wrecked. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their lives were over. It was worse than their lives being over. It was a slow death. It was horrible. And that's what happened here. There was 10 of these men. And they come... They hear Jesus is coming. He's coming to their village. And notice what it says, from a distance. They can't even get close to Jesus. They just have to, they see him over there, and they're not even allowed to go near him. They just say, Jesus, Master, have mercy. And that word mercy is so beautiful. It literally means have pity on our condition and do something for us. Now, this is six months before Jesus went to the cross. So he's been on the scene for a while. He has probably healed countless lepers. We don't have the account of everybody he's healed but one of those healings is recorded where he literally touched a leper do you guys understand how taboo that was when you read about jesus laying his hand a good rabbi laying his hand on a leper that was so not what anybody would do in that culture and he would heal lepers but in this case let's let's look at what happens next it says when they saw him they uh they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And look at what happens in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now pause there for a minute. Go show yourselves to the priest. It doesn't say this, but I've always kind of wondered. I wonder if at some, they weren't like a little bit disappointed, like, dang it. I thought he was going to come over and heal me and touch me. And he's just telling us to go to the priest. Doesn't say they were disappointed. I just wonder, you know, like what was going through their mind. And evidently, they just, you know, obviously they do. They start to turn and go towards the priest. Now, quick little footnote: Why did Jesus always tell the lepers to go to the priests? Because remember when I told you in chapter thirteen of Leviticus, there's the the diagnosis for the priest. You know how to diagnose leprosy. There's an interesting chapter, in the next chapter, Leviticus fourteen. Guess what Leviticus fourteen is? This very detailed account of what a priest is supposed to do if somebody's been healed from leprosy. The problem is, leprosy is incurable. So I'm wondering what these guys, when they're in like rabbi school or priest school, not preschool, preschool, priest school, anyways, when they're like doing their lessons, they're like, okay, we're going to do uh, Leviticus 14, uh, the sacrifices for when somebody's healed from leprosy. And I wonder if they're all like, do we even really need to do this chapter? Like, this isn't practical to my life because people don't get healed from leprosy. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, but it's tucked in there. So can you imagine when Jesus was, for that three years, in the Galilee region and down in Jerusalem, Judea, that area, 
And he's healing lepers. Go to the priest. Healing lepers. Go to the priest. There's all of a sudden this influx of ex-lepers coming to the priest. What a testimony to the priest that was. And I'm sure they're like, okay, um, I know it's in here somewhere. Let me just, uh, I haven't done this in a while. So, you know, they're like, shoot. But they're seeing all, and listen, these are people that they diagnosed as lepers. It was like they're, the, you know, they would know the families. Bob, what are you doing? You look great. Yeah, I got healed by Jesus. Awesome. Let's go kill a dove or whatever the thing is. Make you clean again ceremonially. But that's why he told him to go to the priest. And, and so th- all these guys are like flooding. But in this story, here's what happens. It says, as, and I love this phrase. I think it's noteworthy. As they went, they were cleansed. There's a lesson in that about faith, isn't there? As they went, they were cleansed. We always want to, like, I'll go when I'm cleansed. Like, I'll go do that once you do the miracle. But here's what, here's what Jesus said. Just go. They were still lepers. They were still infected. They were still messed up. But he said, go to the priest. So out of obedience to what Jesus said, they turn and they start making their way to the priest. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if they felt it. I don't know if, you know, they saw it on each other like, bro, your fingers are back, you know, or whatever it was. But as they're going in obedience and in faith, Jesus heals them of their leprosy. Amen? That's how faith works, guys. So often we want the result without the obedience. And Jesus will tell us to go and do something. And as we step out in faith based on his word, oftentimes that's when the miracle happens. Right? I'm not joyful. God, make me joyful. Well, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. Well, once I feel joyful, I'll rejoice. No. Rejoice, and then you'll feel joyful. Does that make sense? As you go, you'll get the miracle. You'll get the healing. You'll get the touch from God. But it's all based on obedience and faith in God's word and stepping out in that. And that's what these guys did. Back to the story. So, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Go to the priest. Okay, we'll go. And so they start turning. They go to the priest somewhere along the way. They get healed. They get healed. They get cleansed. And then this this is the part. Then one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell at his feet, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. One of them. The other nine presumably kept going to the priest, or they just bailed the whole thing and went home and told their family or whatever. But one of them stops, turns around, starts praising God with a loud voice. He wasn't like, oh, praise the Lord, I am healed of my leprosy. He was like, yes, I'm warm, yeah, he's freaking out, praise you, God. Woo, he's just like, you know, just like turns around, he's running, yeah, praise. And notice this, he falls at the feet of Jesus. That's significant. Because where did he come before when he was infected with leprosy? Was he allowed to be close to Jesus? No. He had to keep his distance. But now he's clean. And where does he come? Right to the feet of Jesus. Falls on his face. Right at Jesus' feet. And it says, he gave him thanks. And the word gave him thanks, three words for us. One word in um, the Greek, it just means to give thanks. But it's in the present active tense, meaning he gave kept giving thanks. He was thanking him profusely. Thank you, 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 thank you. You guys get the point? It wasn't like, just wanted to say thank you, goodbye. 
He's praising God. He's freaking out. He falls on Jesus' feet. Maybe he's hugging his feet. He's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's overcome with gratitude. And Jesus' response is so interesting. And at first read, it actually kind of seems weird. Jesus answered him, and he now he asked, Jesus asked three questions. He says, weren't ten cleansed? Where's the other nine? Did no one come back to give God glory except this Samaritan? Now, at first read, you're kind of like, well, that was kind of rude, Jesus. And then he tells the guy, hey, rise, go your way. You know, your faith is made. Listen, in no way is Jesus coming down or, or making small of this guy. He is commending this guy. Good job. He's like, I wish the other guys would have done what you're doing. See, Jesus' disappointment, if you want to use that word, does not lie in, in this Samaritan coming. It was the fact that the ones who were maybe not Samaritans, meaning they were Jews, meaning they knew the promises of God and they knew the, the ramifications of all this, the ones that were supposed to know God, where were they? The ones that should have come. He didn't really expect the Samaritan to come. He expected the Jews to come. The Samaritan, they had a different religion and all that stuff. He, he's stoked that he came. He's just surprised that you're the one that came? Where's my people? Does that make sense? It's kind of like the Muslim came. The, the guy that the Jews hated. I'm not saying the Samaritans were Muslims. But what I'm saying is, is like, you know, I say that, and a lot of people are like, oh, Christians go, oh, a Muslim terrorist. Not all Muslims are terrorists. They're just people that are trapped in a religion that is from the pit of hell. But the point is, is that these guys, the least likely of all of them was the one that came praising God and fell on his face and was giving thanks. And Jesus was like, good job. Where's the other nine? Where's the other nine? Evidently, Jesus values gratitude. It wasn't that he, you know, it's not that Jesus is insecure. It's like, gosh, I just have my feelings hurt that you didn't come back and praise me. It's, I think it's more along, along the lines of, ah, they, where's their heart? And then I asked myself, why did this guy come back? Why did this guy and not the other guys? And I can't answer that, you know, dogmatically because it doesn't say. But I think we'd be on safe ground to, to venture this guess. I think one of the reasons that this Samaritan guy came back, praising God with a loud voice, unashamedly just falling on his face at Jesus' feet and profusely thanking him over and over again. I think probably at least one of the reasons that he did that is because this man had a thorough grip on the condition that he was just saved from. He understood the hopelessness of his situation before Jesus healed him. He understood the severity of it, the hopelessness of it, that he was going to die. He was cut off from his life. So when he was healed, he wasn't just healed physically. He gets to go back to his family. He gets to have a restored home. He gets to hug his kids again. He gets to kiss his wife. He gets to go to church. He gets to be entered back into the community. He gets his life back. He is a new man. He is, in a sense, born again. Amen? And the story's not hard to make the parallel. You guys have already done it in your mind. You see, in the Bible, you guys, leprosy throughout the Bible is, is always typical it is always picturing sin. You know, it's interesting when you read Leviticus 13 and there's that description of how they were diagnosing 
whether it was leprosy or not, one of the giveaways that it was leprosy is they look at the spot, and it, and it has this interesting phrase in Leviticus 13. It says, um, if it's deeper than the skin, and listen, sin is deeper than the skin. In other words, when you see, like, sin in somebody's life, guess what? You know why it's there? Because it's deep-rooted in who they are. It's deep-rooted in who we are. With, by the time sin gets its outlet in our life, it's already been happening inside our hearts. Does that make sense? We are natural-born sinners, every one of us. We're SIN positive, every single one of us. We've all been infected with the sin of leprosy. Every, it's impossible to even overstate how permeating sin is in a person's life in our old nature. When the fall of mankind happened and sin came into the world, it wasn't that just death, physical death entered into the world. It affected every area of our lives in our emotions, in our relationships, in our world, in the, in, in the physical world around us. We are bent towards sin. We are bent towards rebelling against God. It is ingrained in who we are. We've all been infected with sin. And that's not, by the way, that's, I don't know if you know this, that's not a very popular message nowadays in an in a, in a, in a atmosphere of like, oh, we're all just you know, doing our own thing and everything's good. No, it, everything's not good. The Bible says that we were far away from him, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Guys, you know who's the one that turns around and falls at the feet of Jesus and praises and thanks, and just not just once, but lives that, a lifestyle of gratitude and thanks? It's the man or it's the woman that has an understanding of what they've been saved from. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bore our sin. The Bible says he bore our sin. It's very colorful language out of um, Isaiah 53. It's, the picture is that of taking a burden off of somebody else and putting it on yourself. And that's what Jesus did. He took the, the weight of sin, the penalty, the power, all of sin, took it off of us, put it onto himself, bore it on the cross, died on the cross, raised from the dead, conquered sin and death the bible says by his stripes we're healed and he's come to our village so to speak we cried out to him to give us mercy he gave us the free gift of salvation and he has cleansed us from our spiritual leprosy and we have been given new life amen it's not that we're just going to heaven someday we've been given new life right now eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in jesus christ you're born again you're saved as you're ever going to be you've been restored not only to your father but how many of you guys have had broken relationships restored how many of you guys have had lives that were worth nothing but have been redeemed and now all of a sudden your life is worth something your purpose is because jesus took away our sin amen and where we run the danger of just becoming real churchy and religious and stuff is we just start going through the motions. But you know what? I, I love being around people that never forget what they've been saved from. And I never want, I want to be this guy. I want to be that one guy that turns around constantly and just falls at Jesus' feet and says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen? Let's not be like the nine. You know, we're just getting busy with our lives, the, the, getting busy with life, or even just being religious. And do, 
evidently Jesus, and by the way, you know, you could make a case, well, these guys were just doing what Jesus told them to do. That's true, but Jesus evidently elevated worship and praise and thanksgiving over that. I want to be like that. Amen, don't you? I, I don't know where you're at tonight, what's happening in your life. I know it's been a heavy week for this island. I know there's been disaster and tragedy. I know that holidays are hard for families. I know there's family issues. I know that there's personal struggles that we all have, and sometimes it's really hard to just kind of just, I'm going to be thankful, and I get that. But for us, for us who've been cleansed, let's be thankful for that. Amen? If you can't be thankful for anything else, get you, you can be thankful tonight that Jesus cleansed you from your spiritual leprosy. And he's given you your life back. And let's be that one guy. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. What, what we wanted to do tonight is just leave room to do this, just to praise him, to worship him, to thank him, and spend some time and not rush through it, to maybe come and just be on our face before God and just personally praise him and thank him. I think one of the best ways to do that is through communion. Why, why, because Jesus gave us communion for what reason? to do it in remembrance of him. But what does communion talk about? The cross, where he died for our sins. Th that's the whole crux of the matter. It's all about the cross. And so we're going to come to the communion table tonight. Oh, which, by the way, if you come from a more formal church background, Catholic, Lutheran, you, you might be familiar with the term the Eucharist. Anybody familiar with that term, the Eucharist? Do you know what the words where it says, when the, the man fell at Jesus' feet and was giving him thanks, those three words? It's one word in the Greek. Guess what it is? It's the word where we get Eucharist from. It means the giving of thanks. Part of what communion is to be is the giving of thanks for what Jesus has done for us. Amen? We're going to do it a little differently tonight. Usually on the first of the month, we, we all come forward. We all take communion together. But what was on my heart to do tonight is to make it a little bit more personal. So what I'd like you to do tonight, if you want to, is Austin and I are going to do a couple songs, just kind of create an atmosphere of worship. And a communion's available. And as you feel led to and you want to, I want to invite you to come up, grab the, the bread and the juice, and just you personally thank Jesus for saving you. And you take the bread at your own pace. And you take the blood, it's not blood, the juice, at your own pace. And you just spend some time communing. The word communion means fellowship, talking to, interacting with Jesus. Thank you for saving me. And maybe there's just sin in your life, you know, from this week. You just want to confess. This is a great time to do it. Lord, I'm sorry for my attitude this week. I'm sorry for my lust. I'm sorry for my, my, my um, you know, my greed. I'm sorry for my gossip. And you can just confess sin and receive forgiveness for that sin. And then when you're done doing that, just praise and thank. And let's just spend some time at the feet of Jesus and worship him tonight. Amen.